I am encouraged. Uh, we always say that uh, Peanut and I don't converse with what we're going to talk about for each retreat. And uh, for, this is the seventh one. And for every retreat, we've always kind of jailed uh, together. And uh, we were wondering if it was going to happen again. And guess what? It happened again because I'm getting ready to talk about courage. Courage. I'm going to talk about courage tonight. Let's get Genesis 3. And this is kind of going to go um, and piggyback off of what I talked about last time with the faith to leave. And we're going to take it from there. And it really is our prayer that um, these retreats are designed that you won't leave the same, that you do have an experience that will stand out in your personal history. Not just something for us to come and talk and expound, but that the Holy Ghost would meet us where we are and that his anointing would destroy some yokes. And we've seen progressive yokes destroyed uh, from retreat to retreat. And God's not through with us yet. Amen. He's still working. As we said before, the wheels are still turning. All right, Genesis 3. Before I talk about courage, I want to talk about fear and, and break it down. And then we're kind of going to move from the realm of fear into the realm of courage. But in Genesis 3 and 10, I thought I'd go back to where the first mention of fear is in the Bible. And we find it here with Adam. After God had commanded him, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But all of the other trees, you're free to take of those fruits and to enjoy yourself. But we know the story how Adam, how Eve, de deceived by the serpent, convinced Adam, and they both ate. And then we find God coming, and we, it seems to be the pattern that God appeared to Adam on a daily basis to commune with him, to talk to him, to have fellowship with him, and the Bible says it was in the cool of the day, but it, we, um, if we break that word cool down, it really doesn't mean that he came in the evening time. It means that he came in the spirit of the day. The word cool means spirit. It means that whatever Adam needed from God, God supplied to him. He came into him in whatever condition he was in, in whatever uh, mindset that Adam was in that day, God met him in that particular mindset. Then we read here, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So we see here that the first mention of fear is found when God wants to fellowship with us. And then we wonder now, and we read so many times in the scripture, and he started with Abraham, uh, appeared to him. And the first thing he said is, don't fear. But what is it about God's presence that causes us to be fearful, to be afraid? And usually it's because it's something reflective in us. Anytime God reveals himself to us in whatever manner he does, it's going to bring something out in us that sometimes we want to hide from. So he says, I was naked and I hid myself. 
Fear was the answer to the first question in the Bible. This is the first question in the Bible. Adam, where are you? And instead of fellowshipping with God, he had to announce his fear. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind are obviously opposite of fear. When he talks of power, he's talking about the gift of the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. When we think about love, we have to be mindful that love is extremely goal-oriented. Love has a definite purpose. It has a definite destiny. Love is sacrificial, and it's not selfish. Then he says we also have the spirit of a sound mind. This word sound mind actually means self-discipline or to be sober. It describes a person who is sensibly minded and balanced, who has his life under control. And actually, the Amplified Version actually reads this term sound, uh, sound mind as calm and well-balanced, disciplined and self-controlled. Notice that in Timothy, he says God has not given us the spirit of fear, not just fear. He didn't give us fear. He didn't give us the spirit of fear, but he gave us the spirit of power, love, and assignment. When we bring in the word spirit here, it's talking about influence. It implies that you're being driven by something. You're being led or guided or influenced by something toward whatever goal that thing is driving you toward. Fear is, is such a huge thing that he gives us three things to combat it. Power, love, and self-discipline. Now in our last retreat, we talked about Abraham, actually Abram, before his name was changed, and how God had commanded him to leave his country, his father's house, and his kindred. We find him, his calling being hijacked by his father, which meant delay. And we wrote goodbye letters to all of those things that had us delayed in a land of wandering. And a lot of the letters that we read and shared with each other all dealt with fear. Most of us wrote a letter and put to death and called the time of death on fear. So I thought that it would be good to carry that message into finding courage. Because it's one thing to acknowledge fear, but it's an entirely different story to do something about it. We could talk the talk, we know how to say certain things and do the cliche, and she said before, we could do the church thing, but actually when it comes down to implementing it and put it into action, it's a whole different story. It's one thing to say, oh, the last time I saw you, you were shouting around the church or you were, you were praising God, but, but what happens if Sunday is not the last day somebody sees you? What happens if, if Tuesday is the last day somebody sees you? What were you doing on Tuesday? 
It's easy to come together and, and have like-minded uh, uh, things and we put our mask on on Sunday. And we know what you're about Sunday. Everybody knows that we come in with our game face on on Sunday. We in the blessed and highly favored mentality. But on Monday, sometimes for us, it's a total different story. I, I want to know the folk that know you on the job. They know the real you. The, the family where you're laid back and you're able to walk around the house without the makeup and without the, the hair being perfect. They know the real you. The hair down you. So I, I wonder, and she went into my message. I, I hope she didn't go read my notes, but I asked a question and I, I, I came across something that I had never heard of. I asked the question, what is it about fear that paralyzes people? Some animals have instincts in them. If they're being chased or if they feel threatened by something, to just fall over and lay down and play dead. Possums have this in them to where if it's attacked by a dog or a cat gets after the possum, that possum, it, it's not hurt. But just the fear causes it to just stand still and paralyze itself. So I did a little search about fear and paralysis. There's something called fear paralysis reflex. Those that have uh, babies and have been through pregnancies will probably know, the doctors have probably told you about this. Fear paralysis reflex, also known as FPR, Many academic and behavior issues have at their core the incomplete progression of childhood reflexes. These reflexes should each, one, develop in the child system. Number two, it is to become fully integrated and useful as a neural pattern. And then number three, it should inhibit or fall away so that the use of the pattern can become a choice rather than an inevitable reaction. Early trauma can cause the orderly progression of reflexes to go into a holding pattern or become paralyzed. And it results in a wide variety of emotional, physical, and academic challenges. Fortunately, these reflex challenges resolve quickly and effectively when they're addressed through uh, what they call brain gem processes, and I'll talk about that in a minute. This FPR is the key to all other reflexes in the human being. It is the first reflex to manifest in an embryo. In fact, it, it manifests itself between five and seven weeks of conception. The child, when it feels threatened, has automatic reflexes at five to seven weeks to go away from danger. So indeed, the fear paralysis reflex is intended to develop, become integrated and inhibit or fall away, all in utero, and it's supposed to happen long before birth. If the FPR does not follow the intended route of development, the child or the adult system is left locked in a fear state that permeates all walking and sleep activity. 
So if fear paralysis is still active, all of your situations are seen through fear. Fear becomes the filter through which you see life now. Here's a list of the things that manifest due to the lack of resolution of fear paralysis reflex. Okay, now remember that there's three stages that fear paralysis reflex must go through. I'll read them again. It, it is to develop, so it's a good thing to have this. It is to develop, then it is to become fully integrated. It is to be put to use and become part of the, of the neural process. That means it's automatic. It kicks in automatically. But then it must be inhibited or it must be restrained and come under control to where now it doesn't happen automatically, but it happens after the thought process, the intellectual process. All right, so here's what happens when you get stuck in fear. You have a low tolerance to stress, Anxiety seemingly unrelated to reality. Hypersensitivity to touch, sound, specific frequencies of sound, changes in visual field. Dislike of change or surprise or poor adaptability. You, you don't change well. What she just talked about, uh, Jacob, was that he was able to move on. He didn't get stuck in the same, at the same well. He was able to count his loss and to move on knowing that God was on his side. Fatigue, elective mutism, the persistent failure to speak in specific situations where speaking is expected, despite the ability to speak otherwise. So now you don't take up for yourself when you need to take up for yourself. You just let people use, abuse, and misuse you. The fear has paralyzed you. Holding breath. You can't breathe. Remember one retreat we talked about the call around the baby. That baby knows not to take a breath until that call is removed. Fear of social embarrassment. Insecurity. The lack of trust in oneself may become socially isolated and withdrawn. God never designed us to be a recluse. But since the fear was never brought under, under control in our lives, we became stuck in this embryonic fearful being that now we've just withdrawn. Overly clingy or may be unable to accept or demonstrate affection easily. And you have a fear of school. You don't want to retain knowledge because everybody knows that along with knowledge comes responsibility. And when you want to be stuck as a child, you don't want responsibility. Compulsive traits or OCD Negativism, defeatist attitude. Won't try new activities, especially where comparison occurs or excellence is expected. Depression, T 
temper tantrums. You become so frustrated and angry. Controlling or oppositional behavior, especially at home. Immediate motor paralysis under stress. You can't think and move at the same time. It's kind of like driving. You have certain reflexes to, to where you, you can, you're able to do them together at the same time. Some people can't talk and drive. My mother-in-law could not talk and drive. You just need to hold the conversation because you're about to run through this light. And then the hands get to going. Reduced muscle tone, eating disorder, and you crave attention. These are all due to fear. Aggressive behavior born out of frustration and, of, and confusion. So now you're lashing out. And we have to be careful with anger and rage because those are two emotions that are always masked usually by something that is more, that, that leaves you kind of out there, susceptible. You don't want to be hurt. You don't want to show that you're hurt so you lash out in anger to hide the hurt. And then you have poor balance. So fear paralysis reflex. Maturity should bring the factor of choice to your neurological reflexes that developed immediately after conception. This is where the intellect comes into play. There's a program called Brain Gym. And it develops the brain's neural pathways the way nature does, and that is through movement or exercise of motion. So paralysis, the only way to, to, to avoid paralysis is to move. If you don't move, you become stagnant. She talked about the water under the well. It has to be moving water. We, we can't serve God with a stagnant body of water. God is constantly trying to take us from glory to glory, but we're just happy just crossing over the Jordan. We heard there's a promised land, but I'm not so excited to see it. I'd rather just stay right here. At, at least I'm not what I used to be. That's what we say in church. I know what I, I'm not what I should be. I'm not what you want me to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. And, and we become content with I'm not what I used to be. It's good that we're not what we used to be. But it's not good enough. We can't allow the fear of the future to paralyze us. So there, there has to be some movement. You've got to move to prevent bed sores. Now, bed sores happen when somebody is laid up in the bed for so long that the pressure from whether they're sitting in a wheelchair or a bed, the pressure from the bed, the soft tissue in the body gets stuck between the hard surface they're laying on and the bone. When that happens, it's kind of like if you sit on your foot too long. It starts to tingle. It's because your cells are dying. You've got to move your foot to get the blood flowing. 
When the blood doesn't make it to that tissue, that tissue dies and it results in bed sores. So what they do with a lot of patients is, even if it's just uh, once or twice a day, they just roll the patient over one way or the other. Whatever you do, don't sit still and allow the blood circulation to stop. We don't want cells dying. We've got to move. So Hebrew says in 2 and 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So the fear of death keeps us not in bondage, but it keeps us subject to bondage. The fear becomes our primary influence and strips us of freedom in Christ. This is a perpetual lifetime cycle. He says all their lifetime it happens. Because of fear, they can't move into life. Since he overcame fear, now he is able to secure or to furnish relief to those that attempt it. This is why we are to look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. His faith was perfected. Sometimes we, we, we claim to have faith, but that faith is never perfected because we sit there in fear and we'll refuse to move to where God called us to move. Sometimes God's got to step in and cause Artira to die. He's got to kill our own father in our minds in order for us to move on to the next thing. Then after that, he's got to do something to influence you to separate from your lot before he speaks your promise to you again. 1 John 4 and 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So if we operate and live in fear, we don't understand, nor are we fully experiencing God's love. You cannot operate and live in fear and then claim to know God's love. The two do not mix. It's like water and oil. You can stir it together, but as soon as you stop stirring, it's separated. You can speak in tongues. You can feel good on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or a prayer meeting. A retreat. You can feel good. But in the end, if you're living in fear, you can't claim to be basking in God's love. You might want to read Psalm 27. He deals with fear. Let's see. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. And though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Something's got to happen to dissipate the fear in our lives. Afraid to move. Afraid to leave certain situations, certain people, certain surroundings that you know are not good for you. You know that it's, 
it's toxic to your spirit. But you sit there paralyzed in fear. Why? Because you're acting all on neurological senses. You have not educated yourself enough to where intellect is playing a part in your situation. Because if, if you had thought about it long enough and been educated, you would know that God's got your back. Matthew 14. Something's got to happen. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. The only way for fear to be eradicated is for Jesus to speak. Not only does God want us not to fear, but he wants us also to be of good cheer. I, I think it's something wrong when we're always depressed. We're always unhappy. He wants us to be happy. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 says, And the God of peace sanctify you wholly. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely. And I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's concerned not only about your soul being saved, but also about the countenance of your spirit. But yet we've adopted this thing that if I follow Christ, I've got to just, I got to show that I'm suffering. And yet we're going to suffer, but there's joy in life that the saint of God ought to have. Otherwise, what's going to set you apart from the sinner? If they can't see that God actually can, can give you joy, unspeakable and full of glory, they're not going to want to serve your God. I've seen folks shout around the building and they look happy for about five minutes. <laughs> and as soon as the benediction is given, they're in a state of depression all the time. Something's got to change. Something is not right. And we have to make it our responsibility to go after that which God has promised us. Many times we try to be cheerful in our fearfulness. This is a double-minded man and is unstable. So Jesus speaks directly to our fear, but he links it to our unbelief. Now let's talk about courage. Courage is that quality of the mind that enables men to encounter difficulties and dangers. Natural courage is that which arises chiefly from constitution. Moral or spiritual courage is that which is produced from principle or a sense of duty. Courage and fortitude are often used as synonymous but they may be distinguished like this. Fortitude is firmness of mind that supports pain. But courage is active fortitude that meets dangers and attempts to repel them. Courage that grows from constitution very often forsakes a, a mall when he has occasion for it and when it is only a kind of instinct in the soul. 
It breaks out on all occasions without judgment or discretion. But that courage which arises from the sense of duty and from the fear of offending him that made us always acts in a uniform manner and according to the dictates of the right reason. Again, he brings in the intellect. Have you educated yourself with Christ? Have you taken up your cross and learned of him? Sometimes we take up the cross but leave the knowledge. And we always got the saying, knowledge is power. How can we display power with no knowledge? It's not my power. It's God's power. If, if he says that we have power to cast out demons in his name, then I, there's, there's no special magic to the thing. I invoke the name of Jesus. That's all. That demon's got to obey the, the name of Jesus. Because that's the name that created him. I can't be fearful. There's, I remember we were dealing with a demon once and we said, all right, everybody in this building needs to start praying. If you are not right, we know that spirits can jump from body to body. They're going to jump to wherever they see an open door. And if you're not right with God, you need to leave. I expected the saints to start praying, but instead they started leaving. <laughs> We're supposed to be touching and agreeing, coming together, faith touching faith, so we can work the work of Christ, and y'all running from the devil. Saints running. Fear. The one thing that Christ came to subdue the power of, we run when it's our responsibility to invoke that power. How long will God have to put up with us? How long will we not walk in the power that we claim to have? It's going to take courage. Courage is the strength of purpose that enables one to withstand fear or difficulty. Physical courage is based on moral courage a reliance on the presence and power of God and a commitment to his commandments. As fear is the counterpart to unbelief, courage is the counterpart to faith. As faith comes by hearing, so does fear. The devil works his evil by the same principles as God. He is the master deceiver. He transforms into an angel of light and his ministers subsequently transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. The devil is the serpent from Genesis. He whispers. This is what the word serpent means. He's a whisperer of magic spells. You can't allow the devil to speak fear into you. The Bible says in Genesis 3, now the serpent was the most subtle creature of the field. That word subtle also deals with speech. He tricked Eve with his speech. Made her fear the God who created her. 
you know, he, he just knows that if you eat of this tree, you'll be like him. So the fear came that I'm going to miss out on something. It was a lie. He is a divine enchanter, but he's very alluring. As life is brought about by God's word, death is brought about by devilish enchanting. This is why you've got to set yourself in the, in the right atmosphere. You've got to know what to turn off and what to turn on. Matthew 8 and 26 says, And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Look how he ties fear in with faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He has to speak to fear before peace can come. Mark 4 and 40 says, And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How, how is it? that you have no faith. Jesus is saying, I, I, I don't understand how I could walk with you and perform the miracles that I perform and go about the way that I go about and do everything when I have the will to do it and you still have no faith. How could you fear walking with the creator of heaven and earth? He was actually insulted. How could you have no faith? How dare you have no faith? You have the audacity to walk side by side with me, claim to want to do greater works than me, and got the nerve to ask, can you sit in the same throne with me? And you don't have the faith to rebuke the wind. You don't have the faith to speak to the storm that you're in. You're frozen in fear, just paralyzed. Why? Because no matter what I've done for you, it still is not in your intellect of who I am. It's still neural for you to just freeze at the slightest onset of the enemy. So Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. He says, consider Jesus. Think about the fear that he had to overcome to accomplish your salvation. If he had been frozen in fear, and we see it in the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if it be possible, I don't want to go through this. He had to battle with fear. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He had to move. If the blood was going to flow, Jesus had to move in order to prevent bed sores. 
He looked at you and I, the joy that was set before him in order to go through the cross. This is why when we talk about fear, we have to bring in love. Perfect love casts out fear but, fear, but love is not a selfish thing. You've got to remember that when God called you, he called everybody connected to you. And it's going to be your love for those souls that will compel you to do God's will, compel you to move past fear because there's other souls at stake. He knew that if I don't go to the cross, then I won't have any joy. My joy was that my blood was going to be applied to those down the line, folk that I don't even see right now. If you read through Numbers 13, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto them, unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. Notice what he, he sent them to search the land. Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. I'm going to pick up verse 16. These, these are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshia, the son of Nun, Yehoshua, Joshua. All right. Here, Moses uses God's authority to change somebody's name. Now, when he sent them to spy out the land, his name was Oshia. But Moses calls him forward. Out of all the 12, he calls this one and changes his name from Oshia to Yehoshua. That means salvation. It means Jesus in the English language. So Moses changes his, his name from Oshia. Now, Oshia means help. Just simply help. But he changes it from help to Joshua. That means God's help. See, I don't need just any help right now. Some folk claim to help you, but they're really not helping you. But when God steps in and helps, then you're going to be able to conquer what God called you to conquer. And we know the story how 12 of them went in and they went in and they they grabbed the big cluster of grapes and they saw that the, the, the land was really flowing with milk and honey. But something happened to them. He sent them to look and search out the land. He didn't tell them to look at your enemy. But when they got there, the enemy was so intimidating that they couldn't help but saying, there's giants over there. We can't go in there. They, they too big for us. We'll never be able to take them. I mean, they up here. They up in the mountains. They <laughs> Ten folk defeated just by sight. Fear, paralysis, reflex. Because they didn't, they didn't have faith in God enough to believe that he was going to accomplish what he sent them to do, they were frozen. But this one here, who was help that became God's help, says, we can take it. I don't need you ten to do it. Me and Caleb will go and do it ourselves. Joshua 
was from the tribe of Ephraim, and he was the son of Nun, N-U-N. This is where courage is going to come from, the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim means double fruitfulness. For God has made him fruitful in the land of his affliction. You don't have to be brought out of affliction to be fruitful. You can be double fruitful in your situation right now. It also means increasing or a dual form. Noon. He was of the tribe of Ephraim, but he was the son of Noon. Noon is the 14th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The 14th letter. 14 is the number of double completion. The tribe that he was from was already a double fruitfulness. On top of that, he's the son of double completion. In Psalm 119, that entire psalm is a tribute to God's word. And every eight verses goes to a new Hebrew al alphabet. It's split up eight. You can count them. It's eight verses per alphabet. Eight is the number of new beginnings. But when he gets to Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112, he deals with the, word, the letter noon, double completion, which is a rising up. It means fecundity or fertility. It is the ability to intellectually be productive, the intellect, or inventive to a marked degree. Fruitful in offspring or vegetation. This word noon also means fish because of the fish has a prolificness. They don't just lay one or two eggs. They lay hundreds of eggs at a time. It is also used to represent not only the 14th alphabet of the Hebrew language, but also the number 50, which is Jubilee. So this is the one who spoke courage, the one who had a double anointing, double fruitfulness, had Jubilee. He was able to release some stuff. If you want to be free, you got to know how to release some stuff. Let some stuff go. Have the faith to leave. Takes courage. And Jesus, Joshua, Jehoshua, is the only one whose word stands forever. His word goes out and it accomplishes in the face of all adversity. His word carries a double anointing and it comes in a dual form. It affects both the spiritual man and the natural man. His word brings about jubilee or rejoicing. It is a setting free of the captive. It is a harvest season or the season of first fruits. In Psalm 119 verse 108, the duty of the letter noon is that you are to bring a free will offering. So that goes back to you've got to once you dig the well, then you've got to build an altar in worship. And you've got to give something to God that he necessarily didn't ask for. It is free will that gives this offering. Sometimes we won't give stuff unless God demands it. Well, I, well, what does he expect? What, what's written? So I can follow it exactly to the letter. Not, I, I want to give everything that I can to him. But what can I get by? Just, just the bare minimum. I'll just give him a 10%. That's all. That's it. That's all he gets. 
But the free will offering, there's power in it. When you give up something, and it's not always money. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's, it's, it's notoriety. Sometimes it's fame. Some, it, whatever it is that has you frozen and paralyzed in fear, when you freely give that up, God's going to free you. His words are spirit. He said they're spirit. Now we're talking about spirits. They are influential. His words ought to compel you to move even past fear. And they are life. And they take up a standard against fear and death. So here's the progression. God has a progressive plan for us. We cannot allow the fear to paralyze us. He has given us power to not be the sons of God, but to become the sons of God. That becoming is all dependent upon you. When he comes back, no wonder he says, when he comes back, will I find faith or will I find fear? Remember, the opposite of faith is fear. Which one is he going to find? If I'm not progressing and if, if I'm not on, on the right percentage chart, they're going to take Joseph at every doctor's visit and make sure that he's on track for his age. Some of us claim, and we love, I've been, this is my 20th year being saved. And what do we have to show for it? Still no peace. Still no comfort. Still no joy. Still unable to produce after your own kind. Because the first commandment after he produced in the creation was that everything was to produce after its own kind. I'm a new creature in Christ. You've been created, but you ain't produced after your own kind yet. But yet we want to make it to the Sabbath. We want to make it to the, to the final day where he rested. Well, he did his part. He deserves the rest. But right now we've got to work while it is day before the night cometh. Because when the night cometh, the Bible says no man can work. It's lights out, game over. There's nothing you can do but look back and say, I wish I could have. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. And how many people do we know in our families that sit there and say, woulda, shoulda, coulda. I wish I would have spent more time with you. Well, now it's too late. I wish I had supported you like, like I, I knew I should have. Well, now it's too late. I wish I would have given more, would have done more. We got to do it now. But we're paralyzed. We must grow in grace, knowledge of Jesus, and in wisdom. Spiritual FPR causes unfruitfulness. When you're frozen, you can't do anything. One thing that, that those that grow crops, one of their most fearful things is a winter that is brutally cold, that freezes their, their crops. Why? Because the coldness, it kills the fruit. Don't allow yourself to become cold, to freeze over. Our last scripture, Isaiah 35 and 3 says, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. There's some stuff that we need to 
as of tonight, we need, we need to confirm the feebleness in our life. You're going to strengthen it, but before you strengthen it, you've got to confirm what it is. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. But you got to confirm some stuff first. You got to come beyond the place to where you offer generic prayer and you actually really get into the, to the nooks and crannies. You really start to deal with the fact. There comes a time we, we, we really got to deal with We can't speak of it in layman's term. We can't hint at it. We can't get, make up little cold words for it. We can't pet it. No, you got to call some stuff out. Fear paralysis reflex must be inhibited. This is the third stage. A lot of us are stuck on stages one and two of fear paralysis reflex. It's been developed and it's become an inevitable reaction or reflex, but it's never become constrained or restrained. What, what constrains it? Paul says, it is the love of Christ that constrains me. I, I don't look through the lens of fear through everything. I look through God's love. You got to look through God's love and see what your situation is. Once we are free from fear paralysis reflex, fear will no longer be the lens through which we view everything, but love will become the thing which constrains or inhibits my impulse of reflex. We exhibit, only then do we exhibit a sound mind to where we have control. There's gonna be some things that you have no say so in, but when you're in a situation there is a control of your mind to where you don't panic and become frozen in fear where you just don't, don't move left, you don't move right, you start backing up, you start to doubt God, you start to wonder, did he really promise me this? What's going on in my life? We have the mind of Christ who was not impulsive, but he calculated to the finest detail the means for our peace and joy. He didn't panic in Gethsemane. He didn't panic on Calvary. He knew exactly what was going to happen. We must allow Jesus to speak to and address our fear and reveal himself as the Savior. The only thing that Paul gave to Timothy to combat the spirit of fear was for Timothy to stir up the gift that was already in him. You've got to rely on what God has given you. Don't put it off to the side, but you've got to stir it up. You've got to keep it fresh. Every promise comes with adversity. If God's promises are precious and exceeding, then rest assured that the devil will post his demons there to try to steal, kill, and to destroy. Nevertheless, we must keep our eyes on the promise and not on the squatters of the promise. The Amalekites and the giants are just temporary tenants 
on the verge of divine eviction. When Moses sent them into the promised land, they only saw squatters. That was their land. All they had to do was wait for the eviction notice from God. Get ready to shake fear and move into your promise. Get some courage. Get some courage. And most of us, we're not readily and willing to say, I have fear, I struggle with fear. But at the last retreat, when, when we exposed that, there was a tremendous release just in exposing it. Just to move past it, acknowledge it, and then let God deal with it. It is not until we not, Natalie dealt with at the, at the last one, she dealt, the time is now. We have to go back to that place where we were broken and we've got to really deal with that. Otherwise, it's going to always cause a problem for you. You're going to pull back, you're going to withdraw, you're going to have all these other issues that, that we read off that when you get stuck in fear and paralyzed, you're going to deal with some of those. We read off all those and, and they say that most people that, that, get, that have stagnant FPR, they have not only just one or two, but they're usually grouped, all of those symptoms that we read off. They come in pairs and groups. And if we want to be free from that stuff, we've got to ask God to give us courage. That's why I had her sing. Encourage yourself. Speak over yourself in the Lord. You, you, you got to know who you are in Christ, and you can't allow the devil to speak lies into your experience. Just like God spoke life by the word, the devil speaks fear and death with words. Sometimes words that are only thought. But think how powerful the mind is. I don't know why I've been dealing so much on the intellect the last few messages. But your thought process is very important. This is why Paul says, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, just, good report, if there be any virtue, we don't want to sink and soak into negativism. But we serve a positive God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Let's stand. All right, let's look to the Lord. Father, in your mighty name, we approach your throne tonight with boldness, knowing that you are a father, and we are your children, we're your sons and daughters. We thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for divine revelation of who you are. We pray for these, your people, and we pray for this weekend retreat that we would not leave the same way we came in, but that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Help us, Lord, to be courageous. Encourage our hearts. Strengthen us and embolden us to walk into those areas of life that you've called us to, to destroy those things that you want destroyed, to separate from those things that you want to take away from us, Work your perfect will in our lives. Hallelujah. We move beyond the fear. And I speak to every situation of fear in this room tonight. Satan, the Lord God, is against you. The Lord rebuke you. 
We denounce every thought from the enemy tonight. All of the lies that we've been walking according to, that we have believed and taken as the truth. Satan, we know that you are the father of lies. Lord, we pray that you would speak a word and dissipate the fear. Speak peace and joy into our lives. Hallelujah. We thank you for the victory in advance. Hallelujah. We pray, Lord, that from this day forward, that we will find new courage, along with every mercy that you give us and grant us each morning. Give us courage, Lord. Hallelujah. We honor your presence, and we know that it is your anointing that is able to destroy this yoke of fear. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, give us courage to move on past the arguing. Give us courage to dig a new well. Let us move past the bitterness, the hatred, the envy, the jealousy. We know that you have a room specially made for us, a place especially for every one of your children. We believe it by faith, and we claim it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We pray for those that were not able to be here. Whatever they're going through, we intercede for them right now. Those that might be struggling in their bodies, we pray and plead the blood of Jesus that you would heal them. Hallelujah. Grant them this word of encouragement. Even though they were not here, strengthen their minds, strengthen their hearts, gird them about with truth in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We pray, Lord, that your presence would be in our midst tomorrow. Guide our thoughts. Hallelujah. We give you praise, honor, and glory. And we claim the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.